Chapter Twenty of the Honor of the Big Snows. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Roger Moline. The Honor of the Big Snows by James Oliver Curwood. Chapter Twenty. A Kiss and the Consequences. During the week that followed, Jean's little black eyes were never far distant from Cummins' cabin. Without being observed. He watched Melisse and Dixon, and not even to Iowaka did he give hint of his growing suspicions. Dixon was a man whom most other men liked. There were a fascinating frankness in his voice and manner, strength in his broad shoulders, and a general air of comradeship about him which won all but Jean. The trap-line runners began leaving the post at the end of the second week, and after this, Melisse and the young Englishman were more together than ever. Dixon showed no inclination to accompany the sledges, and when they were gone, he and Melisse began taking walks in the forest, when the sun was high and warm. It was on one of these days that Jean had gone along the edge of the caribou swamp that lay between the barrens and the higher forest. As he stopped to examine a fresh lynx trail that cut across the path beaten down by dog and sledge, he heard the sound of voices ahead of him, and a moment later he recognized them as those of Melisse and Dixon. His face clouded and his eyes snapped fire. Ah, if I was only Jean Thoreau, a Jean Thoreau with the heart of Jean de Grapois, what a surprise I'd give that foreigner! he said to himself, leaping quickly from the trail into the thicket. He peered forth from the bushes, his loyal heart beating a wrathful tattoo when he saw that Dixon dared put his hand on Melisse's arm. They were coming very slowly, the Englishman bending low over the girl's bowed head, talking to her with strange earnestness. Suddenly he stopped, and before Jean could comprehend what had happened, he had bent down and kissed her. With a low cry, Melisse tore herself free. For an instant she faced Dixon, who stood laughing into her blazing eyes. Then she turned and ran swiftly down the trail. A second cry fell from her startled lips when she found herself face to face with Jean de Gravois. The little Frenchman was smiling. His eyes glittered like black diamonds. "'Jean! Jean!' she sobbed, running to him. "'He has insulted you,' he said softly, smiling into her white face. "'Run along to the post, ma belle Melisse.' He watched her, half-turned from the astonished Englishman, until she disappeared in a twist of the trail a hundred yards away. Then he faced Dixon. "'It is the first time that our Melisse has ever suffered insult,' he said, speaking as coolly as if to a child. "'If Jan Thoreau were here, he would kill you. "'He is gone, and I will kill you in his place.' He advanced, his white teeth still gleaming in a smile, and not until he launched himself like a cat at Dixon's throat was the Englishman convinced that he meant attack. In a flash... Dixon stepped a little to one side and sent out a crashing blow that caught Jean on the side of the head and sent him flat upon his back in the trail. 
Half stunned, Gravois came to his feet. He did not hear the shrill cry of terror from the twist in the trail. He did not look back to see Melisse standing there. But Dixon both saw and heard, and he laughed tauntingly over Jean's head as the little Frenchman came toward him again, more cautiously than before. It was the first time that Jean had ever come into contact with science. He darted in again, in his quick, cat-like way, and received a blow that dazed him. This time he held to his feet. "'Bah! This is like striking a baby!' exclaimed Dixon. "'What are you fighting about, Gravois? Is it a crime up here to kiss a pretty girl?' "'I am going to kill you!' said Jean, as coolly as before. There was something terribly calm and decisive in his voice. He was not excited. He was not afraid. His fingers did not go near the long knife in his belt. Slowly the laugh faded from Dixon's face, and tense lines gathered around his mouth as Jean circled about him. "'Come, we don't want trouble like this,' he urged. I'm sorry if Melisse didn't like it. I am going to kill you, repeated Jean. There was an appalling confidence in his eyes. From those eyes Dixon found himself retreating rather than from the man. They followed him, never taking themselves from his face. The fire in them grew deeper. Two dull red spots began to glow in Jean's cheeks and he laughed softly when he suddenly leaped in so that the Englishman struck at him and missed. It was the science of the forest man pitted against that of another world. For sport, Jean had played with wounded lynx. His was the quickness of sight, of instinct, without the other's science. The quickness of the great loon that had often played this same game with his rifle fire of the sledge-dog whose ripping fangs carried death so quickly that eyes could not follow. A third and a fourth time he came within striking distance and escaped. He half drew his knife, and at the movement Dixon sprang back until his shoulders touched the brush. Smilingly, Gravois unsheathed the blade and tossed it behind him in the trail. His eyes were like a serpent's in their steadiness, and the muscles of his body were drawn as tight as steel springs, ready to loose themselves when the chance came. There were tricks in his fighting as well as in the others, and a dawning of it began to grow upon Dixon. He dropped his arms to his side, inviting Jean within reach. Suddenly the little Frenchman straightened, his glittering eyes shot from the Englishman's face to the brush behind him, and a piercing yell burst from his lips. Involuntarily, Dixon started, half turning his face, and before he had come to his guard, Gravois flung himself under his arms, striking with the full force of his body against his antagonist's knees. Together they went down in the trail. There was only one science now, that of the forest man. The lithe brown figures that could have crushed the life of a lynx fastened themselves around the Englishman's throat, and there came one gasping, 
quickly throttled cry as they tightened in their neck-breaking grip. "'I will kill you,' said Jean again. Dixon's arms fell limply to his side. His eyes bulged from their sockets. His mouth was agape, but Jean did not see. His face was buried on the other's shoulder, the whole life of him in the grip. He would not have raised his head for a full minute longer had there not come a sudden interruption, the terrified voice of Melisse, the frantic tearing of her hands at his hands. "'He is dead!' she shrieked. "'You have killed him, Jean!' He loosed his fingers and sat up. Melisse staggered back, clutching with her hands at her breast, her face as white as the snow. "'You have killed him!' Jean looked into Dixon's eyes. "'He is not dead,' he said, rising and going to her side. "'Come, ma chère, run home to Iowaka. I will not kill him.' Her slender form shook with agonized sobs, as he led her to the turn in the trail. "'Run home to Iowaka,' he repeated gently. "'I will not kill him, Melisse.' He went back to Dixon and rubbed snow over the man's face. "'Mon Dieu, but it was near to it,' he exclaimed, as there came a flicker of life into the eyes. "'A little more, and he would have been with the missioner.' He dragged the Englishman to the side of the trail, and set his back to a tree. When he saw that fallen foeman's breath was coming more strongly, he followed slowly after Melisse. Unobserved, he went into the store and washed the blood from his face, chuckling with huge satisfaction when he looked at himself in the little glass which hung over the wash-basin. Ah, my sweet Iowaka! But would you guess now that Jean de Gravois had received two clouts on the side of the head that almost sent him into the blessed hereafter? I would not have had you see it for all the gold in this world. A little later he went to the cabin. Iowaka and the children were at Croisset's, and he sat down to smoke a pipe. Scarce had he begun sending up blue clouds of smoke when the door opened, and Melisse came in. "'Hello, ma chère,' he cried gaily, laughing at her with a wave of his pipe. In an instant she had flung the shawl from her head and was upon her knees at his feet, her white face turned up to him pleadingly, her breath falling upon him in panting, sobbing excitement. "'Jean! Jean!' she whispered, stretching up her hands to his face. "'Please tell me that you will never tell Jan.' Please tell me that you never will, Jean. Never, never, never. I will say nothing, Melisse. Never, Jean? Never. For a sobbing breath, she dropped her head upon his knees. Then, suddenly, she drew down his face and kissed him. Thank you, Jean, for what you have done. Mon Dieu! gasped Jean when she had gone. What if Iowaka had been here then? End of chapter 20 Recording by Roger Moline